Bible is our foundation. A great author, pastor, theologian, well-known, his name is A.W. Tozer. He wrote a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in the opening chapter, the opening paragraph of this book, there's a very famous quote, and you probably have read it or you've heard it, but here's what he said. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In the book, he argues that most, if not all, errors in doctrine and teaching and practice are rooted in wrong beliefs about God because what we think about God impacts what we say and what we do and how we interact uh, with people. And certainly that is true when we think about cultural issues and what it is that we are supposed to be doing or how we're supposed to be responding. If we think that God is, or if, if the way we think about God is the most important thing about us, then the question that we need to ask is how do we develop our thoughts about God? And there are three things that I can tell you from Scripture. The first is we develop our thoughts about God from the natural world. And that's according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 19. The author is Paul, and he's talking to the Roman church about how God's power and God's attributes and his nature is seen in all that has been created. God is a creator, we're the created, and everything that we see speaks of a designer. It speaks of someone behind all of this that said, let it be so. Just as we create, just as we make things, and it says something about us and our preferences, so the things that we see each and every day that we take for granted, they speak to us of a great, big, and awesome God. The second way that we develop our thoughts about God is personal encounter. There are lots of passages. I just brought up one about a guy named Saul who we know as Paul in the New Testament. God absolutely transforms his life. He has an encounter with Jesus and hears his voice and he's changed forever. And I would tell you today that we also encounter the living God. In fact, shameless plug, if you're reading our Bible reading plan at Northwest Church today, you might have noticed that the majority of our Bible reading was about encountering God. Even Job, yes, Job, in Job 42, after he said many, many foolish things, God speaks to him, and then he said, I had heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes have seen you, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job has an encounter with God. In Revelation chapter 1, John has an encounter with the glorified risen Christ, somebody that he had walked with for three years, and now when he sees Jesus as he truly is, the Bible says that he falls down before him as though he was dead. Now, he knew him as, as a man, but now he's glorified and his response was to fall down before him because this is who he really is. And I tell you that God wants to encounter us personally. I want to say that again. God wants to encounter us personally. He wants to reveal who he is to us. That's what he does. He's a personal God. Like, we're not going to get to heaven one day and go, oh, it was real. <laughs> Like, you're real. I wasn't sure. Now I'm sure. No, no, no. Friends, today, God wants to encounter us in very real ways, and I'm thankful for that. But the most important way that we develop our thoughts about God is the Bible. It says in 2 Timothy 3, which we'll study, all Scripture is, is God-breathed. All Scripture is from God, is inspired by God. And the thing about the Bible is it makes a radical claim in almost every single book, 66 books, in almost every book of the Bible, it makes a radical claim in some way or another that it is from God. 
And so you and I have a decision to make. Every person that looks and reads or studies this book has to make a decision because it says it's from God. Prophets say they spoke from God. People say they encountered God. The Bible says again and again, the word of the Lord came to me. This means God spoke to me and now I'm writing it down for you. This Bible claims in almost every single book that the words themselves are from God. And that's a radical claim. People have to make a choice. But here's what that means is you can't just say it's a good book. If the book claims that it's from God, you can't just go, well, I like some of it and I don't like the rest of it because that wouldn't be a proper way to approach something that claims that it's more than what you and I are actually researching it or studying it for. C.S. Lewis is the one that talks about Jesus when he says that Jesus claimed that he was God. Either he was crazy or he was, um, or he was the son of God. But you have to make a decision. You can't say, well, he was a good man. He claimed he was God. <laughs> if somebody walks down the street and claims that they were God, you can't be like, well, they're, uh, you know, some of what they say is all right. I mean, it's crazy. All right? They either are or they are not. And you can't trust the Bible, if it's not from God, and it claims that it's from God, it wouldn't make sense to glean from it, therefore. But what we know is that humans have a profound capacity to make God or try to make God in their own image. We see that in every generation. And so Tozer, in his book, he goes on to say this, wrong ideas about God are the fountain from which the polluted waters of idolatry flow for they are themselves idolatrous. The idolater simply imagines things about God and acts as if they are true. What does he mean? He is saying this, that people think about God in ways that are not in keeping with scripture because they want to imagine a God that is that is palatable for them, that is the one that gives them what they want instead of what the Bible says that he is. We know God because of God's word. And so we can't come up with another version of who we think he is because if we do that, then we are the ones who decide who God is. And if that's the case, then we are actually God. If it is our determination of who God is, then that's a very slippery slope. As we discussed last week, we as Christians should expect to have profound disagreements with the values of our culture. And you might ask the question, why can't we all just uh, get along? Uh, because people who don't know God don't follow God and they don't adhere to his principles. They don't, they don't adhere to his laws. They don't submit to his authority. And where that is the case, people that say, hey, what does the Bible say? And that's the way I'm going to live life are going to have profoundly different culture and different ideology and different understanding and different lifestyle than people who wake up in the morning and just say, hey, how do I think about this? How do I feel about this? What do I think about all the things that are going on? There's a different path for those people. One says, what does the Bible say? Because I honor God and I honor his word because it's from him. The other is like, hey, just whatever I feel and however I wanna live and whatever I wanna do and whatever my truth is, those are two profoundly different paths of life. And that is what we find in what we call culture wars or cultural differences. We're going to have this kind of conflict because the conflict is always over what is the truth and what is the source of truth? That's the conflict. It's always about truth. 
For hundreds of years, Christians have believed that the Bible is God's word and it's the foundation for everything that we believe and everything that we say and the way that we live. And so we as a church at Northwest Church, we believe that. That's why we gather around the Bible. I'm not interesting enough to gather around. Amen. I'm not, can I get an amen? I, uh, I just got to laugh. That's all I got. Is, <laughs> I'm not, my stories aren't, aren't funny and maybe they make you feel better about your life when you leave, but but the reality is we gather around God's holy word. Amen. This is his word. It's, it's the foundation. And if you know anything about foundations, here's what you know. That when people go to build a structure like this one that we're, that we're in today, they dig down deep to bearing soil. And when they get to bearing soil, they pour a foundation. And they want that foundation to be strong. They want that foundation to be level. And the wider the foundation is, the higher up you can build. And the reality is this. If you build on a bad foundation, then everything that is built on it is not right. And so the foundation is the most important part of any structure. We take it for granted. Right now, I'm walking on that foundation. We're sitting on that foundation. We're taking it for granted right now. We don't think twice about it. It's poured, we build, and it's over with. But friends, if it wasn't right, we would all notice today. And so it is with our life. If we do not build on a proper foundation, then what we think and what we say and what we do is just not going to be right. And it's certainly not going to be aligned with God. And so the Bible is our foundation. But the first question that we're asking is, what is the Bible then, Ben? Well, I'm glad that you asked. I want to give you some practical stuff today. Number one, the word Bible literally means book. And so when you turn to the the binding of your Bible, most of us, it says holy book right there. And so it means holy Bible, holy book. That's literally what that means. But the Bible is more than a book. It's a library of 66 books written by over 40 authors in three languages over a period of 1,500 years. And it was originally called the canon of scripture. And canon means rule or measuring stick. Everything else is to be measured to what it says as it is God's word. The Old Testament has 39 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,173 verses. I expect you guys to memorize everything I'm about to say right now. <laughs> He's going to remember it and remember everything. I'm going to ask you in the gym while you're eating popcorn today, how many verses are in the Bible? I told you, I told you, you weren't taking notes, all right? I did put them in your notes, by the way, so... The New Testament has 27 books, 260 chapters, 7,959 verses, and chapter divisions were added in the 1200s. Verses were added in 1551. And I'm thankful that somebody created an address system for people like me. It used to just be a sea of texts, and it was in the different languages, and that's, you know, it's, it's more, that's more acceptable in those languages, of course. But these chapter divisions were added later, and so the Bible has had sort of a, a, a morphing and a development, so to speak. And here's what I would like to say to you. I think every Christian should have a foundation and an understanding of where the Bible came from and how it developed over time to get into this form. Most Christians don't know. And so you can solve that by just reading a few books because there's a lot of scholarly works that have been written over, over the last couple hundred years for you and I to better understand that. And so it is my passion 
that our congregation, that as many of you that will listen to me will come to understand how the Bible came to be. Because if you don't, here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna have this really vague understanding of what you think happened to bring us the Bible. You're gonna think that somehow it just sort of miraculously floated you know, through space and time and bam, here we have it today. And I don't want you to teach your kids that because it's not true. Transmission of text doesn't happen like that. Works of antiquity, that's not the way historical documents are, are, are transmitted. And even though this is God-breathed, and even though the supernatural touch of God is on it, it still has this documented history that we can follow. And if you don't know that, I want to recommend a book. And this book is called How We Got the Bible by Neil Lightfoot. We sell it in our bookstore. The bookstore will open here in a month or less. You can get it on Amazon for like 11 bucks. And I, and I want to say... You can read. Amen. I have people tell me, you know, I'm not much of a reader. And here's, here's my response. Well, you can grow. Amen. You can grow. All right. You're staking your life on this book. You're staking your life on this book. You're here today because of what this book says. You believe God. You believe salvation is yours in Christ Jesus because it says it in this book. A lot of what you do in your life, what you're telling your children, what you're conveying, the way you're seeking to live your life, it comes from this book. You can't throw away the book, but you got to understand more about it. Amen. So if you're staking your life on it, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. If you can just admit, Pastor Ben, I don't know how the Bible came together because you might say, well, there was this group of people in the 300s, you know, the Nicene Council, and they all came together, just a bunch of happy Catholics. And those guys came together and uh, they sat around the round table with bunny hats and all that. And they made decisions on which books were in and which books were out. And friends, that's not what happened. Some people have this idea that that's sort of what happened. And, and when, you, when you go on Tiki Talk, you know, and you go on Instagram, and, and you go on some of these social media sites and this is where people get their theology in 60 seconds and somebody will undo that and say, well, there's just a bunch of whatever guys, religious people who sat around in a room and chose which ones that were supposed to be in the Bible and they did that for oppression in order to keep people under their hand and we know that's not true. And they'll try to undo the truth of God's word and how it came together, this sovereign, miraculous process. And so many Christians have no clue how it happened. So they're like, huh, that sounds weird. And they just keep scrolling. But a lot of the younger generation is picking that stuff up because our attention span is low and we don't read books anymore. Our imagination is practically gone. And so what we're doing is deriving our truth from 60 seconds, 30 seconds, minute and a half long clips. And friends, that's dangerous. Think about how many people, how many scribes were giving their life describing the scripture. There's 20, 30,000 copies of manuscripts that we have today, just from the New Testament. And they were copying these. And here today, I can't read a book. Friends, come on. We are standing on the shoulders of people that gave their life to copy manuscripts so that we could have the Bible. The least we can do is figure out how it came together. You say, well, Pastor Ben, I'm here so you can tell me how that happened. And I am. Here it is. All right. <laughs> and you say, I can't get it all done in 40 minutes. You know that. Uh, and you're like, well, Pastor, this is a simple book. This is actually the, the abbreviated version. But if you are like, I need an academic book, Pastor Ben, I need something that's even more. And I'm glad you're here. This is The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Joshua McDowell. Some of you have heard of this. It's 800 pages. Knock yourself out. All right. And if that... 
isn't enough, friends. We've got far more than that. But this is what the Bible is. And I want to tell you secondarily that the Bible is inspired by God. Throughout his two letters to Timothy, the Apostle Paul said many things concerning the Scriptures. And real quickly, when you hear the word inspired, you might think, well, Pastor Ben, I get inspired to do a lot of things. I woke up today, I was inspired to go to a different coffee shop. (laughs) I was inspired to sit in a new seat. I usually sit over on the left side, now I'm on the right side, amen? I mean, that's not what we're talking about. That we're... (laughs) The Bible, when it says inspired, it means God breathed. That's that's what we mean here. But when Paul wrote to Timothy, he wrote him two letters at the end of his life, and he brought up the scriptures like a dozen times. And I just wrote down like seven things that he mentions to Timothy that sometimes as we're reading through those letters, we're not focusing on what he said about the Bible specifically. We're just in the context and we're maybe looking at some of the other details. But here's the focus that he brought to him concerning the scriptures. Number one, he said, you can trust the scriptures that make you wise unto salvation. He said, you, could, you should publicly read the scriptures and use them to exhort the body of Christ. He told him, public, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Why? Because it brings accountability to all of us. That's what it does. As we read the Bible publicly, it brings accountability to all of us. He said, pay attention to your teaching to make sure that it is in keeping with the truth of the scripture. He said, elders and pastors should be able to teach the scripture as a part of their leadership in the church. He said, some will misunderstand the scriptures and distort the truth inside and outside the church. Be mindful and aware of that. He said, people will teach strange things doctrines of demons, and they will lead people away from the truth. I want you to guard from that. He said, don't associate with people who bring about unfruitful controversy concerning the truth in the church. He said, flat out, don't associate with with them. It's one thing to have a question. It's another thing to bring about unfruitful controversy, and I've seen both. And I've seen that done in the name of, I'm just asking a question. No, friend, you're creating division. That's why God has a way of doing things. And we all can read about how God calls us to have the church structured. And I love that. I just thank God for his wisdom. And finally, he said, we, we are servants of God and we should rightly divide the scriptures to interpret them accurately. In other words, you can't just get up in the morning and read a book of antiquity and be like, wow, this is what it says. And so many people will do that. They'll read a verse and they'll think that it means something that it doesn't. How many of you have been reading the Bible long enough that sometimes when you're reading it, you realize, oh man, I'm in trouble because I thought that it meant something else. Raise your hand if that's happened to you. Welcome to the club. If you're not uh, in that club yet, uh, we are always taking applications. (laughs) Just... (laughs) Here's what he said, the final one in 2 Timothy 3.15. He says to him, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, he actually says it this way, or 2 Peter, he says that, People who were writing the scripture spoke from God and they were carried along as they were writing. 
the, the word picture there is like a gust of wind that pushes the sailboat forward so that it can make its destination. He's saying that people, when they were riding, the Spirit of God was breathed out on them as they were riding. These are the sacred scriptures. And so when we think about inspiration, a uh, definition could be that it's animated or inclined with the Spirit to do something by supernatural or divine influence. It's under divine influence. There are a couple other words that we throw around when we talk about Scripture, and one of them is inerrancy. This means lack of error. When we talk about inerrancy, it, it contends that the Bible does not have any errors of fact or any statements that are contradictory. Inerrancy is more concerned with the details. Sometimes people will say, well, there's a lot of details that are, are wrong. And a lot of the times as I've researched them, and there are many books written to this reality, is that when you bring like the synoptic gospels together, you're getting different vantage points. There are some discrepancies in, in some ways. Um, we call those textual, crit it's textual criticism. There, there are some little details. There are some things that are, are wrong as scribes were transmitting the scriptures from one generation to the next, we do see that there were some minor errors, but they're, they're not material facts. It doesn't change the overall scripture. We also use a word like infallibility, which means absolutely reliable, unfailing in effectiveness or operation, not liable to error, without errors in all matters of faith and practice. This is the word that is broadly used. You might hear it more often. And usually when we bring up 2 Timothy 3, we say that this is a reference to the Old Testament because Paul is saying that all Scripture, all Old Testament Scripture is God-breathed. But in the New Testament, we understand that it affirms the Old Testament, and there are moments in the New Testament where we see that this too was inspired by God. And I threw out some passages that you can um, read later, later on. Numerous passages claim to be quotes directly from God. Others claim to be the result of ordinary research, like the Gospel of Luke, who was a trained historian and medical doctor, and some appear to be private letters. Regardless of the method of inspiration, all these writings are considered canonical scriptures. So we can look at it this way. There are grammatical irregularities at times. There are stylistic differences that indicate that God did not dictate every word Rather, God allowed the divine message to be given in a phraseology of human authors under his divine guidance. He used people to write the scriptures. Just as Jesus was God in human form, the Bible is God's word in human words. It's the very same thing. But you're asking, is the Bible reliable? Amen. And that is my next point. The Bible is reliable. It's a trustworthy guide for our relationship with God and with others. It provides us all kinds of truth. It answers so many questions that people are seeking today. Who is God? Who are we? Why are we here? It gives us an understanding of salvation. It tells us the miracles and the miraculous power and the life and the ministry of Jesus. It helps us to understand morals and ethics, how we ought to live our lives as we study it, as we seek to understand it and live it out. When considering the trustworthy of the Bible, trustworthiness of the Bible, the first question we need to ask is have these documents been accurately transmitted to us since they were originally written because it's very old. In order to answer this question about what is called textual transmission, historians uh, they tell us or they look at two things. The first is the number of existing manuscript copies of the original text. How many copies of manuscripts are there? When you look at books of antiquity, this is how we de develop authority or credibility. 
Are there, is there one? Is there 10? Is there 15? Is there 1,000? So ancient books develop credibility by the amount of manuscripts that we have found. That's the first way. Historians also have another way to tell us about the credibility of a document. The time gap between the earliest existing manuscript and the date when the original document was written. So if we found it at 100 AD, but it was written at 30 AD, that time gap is 70 years. So how far was that gap? Was it written 1,000 years later? Was it written 500 years later? These are the two things. And I want to show you a, a graphic that was done here. Obviously, I didn't do this research, but this was done by Clay Jones. He's a professor at Biola University, and he recently updated the data that compares the Greek New Testament documents as a group to other documents of ancient history in an article published in the Christian Research Journal. Now, a lot can be said about this, but I hope you can see it. When it comes to documents or ancient literature, the scriptures of how many copies of manuscripts we found just for the New Testament, 24,000, it's actually over 24,000 copies of manuscripts that we have. Some are pieces, some are parts, some are greater, but we have this many copies of manuscripts. The next is Homer's Iliad. I mean, this is an ancient Greek poet, right? It's, I mean, some of you understand, <laughs> it's, this is poetry. This is why, this is why. It should be illegal to not have the Bible, at least as a historical document, in public education. I'm showing you something that's true. You can question that. Go knock yourself out. Amen. <laughs> Every time, I used to teach a class called How to Study the Bible. Now Pastor Jared teaches it. I'm not jealous, but I used to teach the class, and I taught it about a half a dozen times. And as I dug into the scriptures and where it came from and what it was and what it was for and how credible it is and the authority of it, the more I dug into it, the more I was satisfied that this book is a miracle. There's nothing in history, friends, nothing in history that takes away from the fact that this is the greatest historical document in the world. And we know that it's more than that. But this is enough for people to go, wait a minute, what is the Bible and why am I so opposed to it? Archaeology has also proven time and again to affirm the, affirm the biblical accounts rather than deconstruct them. We're going to go to Israel here in February. So about 50 of us or a little less than that are going. There's some cool things that you get to see. You get to go to Jerusalem. You get to go uh, and you get to see the wall. I mean, it's been constructed multiple times. But we get to go to Jericho. The oldest structure that exists in the world is found in old Jericho. You get to see it. Now, you can't get that close to it, okay? But you get to see the oldest structure that exists when you go to Israel. And the more you walk the biblical lands, the more you realize this is real, all right? This is real. This is amazing. It's not some constructed book where people just sat around and thought, how can we control people? This is reality. It's so amazing. And that's, that's a soft plug for Israel. It really is. But keep in mind this when we think about the Bible. It is not primarily a scientific catalog of books. While it describes creation, it's after a different question than the ones that we're often asking today. And this is, uh, this is why we have conflicts. And, and I would say unbelieving minds or people that don't believe in the Bible or don't believe in Jesus, some of the accusations that they lodge against the Bible um, it comes from a misunderstanding. It comes from a misunderstanding of books of antiquity. Number one, it comes from a misunderstanding of what the Bible's for and the questions that we in the 21st century are putting on the Bible that it's not actually answering. 
And so the Bible is answering more of a basic theological question as, as we go throughout it. It gives us what we need to know. How did we get here? Who is God? And what does that mean? So we have to be careful when we come to the Bible and we ask modern questions. Are those the right questions that the Bible is actually answering? Are we trying to make it work somehow? And I think often we get in trouble there. Genesis is not meant to be a narrative of material origins. We have a theology of origins instead. Within all of this, the Bible is utterly reliable and it has been for thousands of years. When Paul told Timothy, rightly divide the word of truth, he meant that. And we need to do that. And the Christian church has been in trouble for many years because we are trying to make the Bible say something at times that it is not saying. And that can be a problem. So we take the Bible at its word on what it says, but you don't want to make it say something it's not trying to say. So there is no conflict with science in the Bible. We're not doing that lesson today, but there's no conflict with science in the Bible. Sometimes people, what they call science, is their own interpretation because all science has a scientist that interprets the science. So we don't just take science at face value. Some science is obviously, yeah, we, we accept the idea. Amen. We want to discover what is true. But there are no contradictions. There are only sometimes contradictions with what people are saying the Bible says in, uh, in, as a contradiction to what science is uh, discovering as a material fact. And so this is a very important thing and people get hung up on that all the time. I can't tell you how many Christians I've met that have said, based on the way that they are intellectually, that as they grew up in church, they were told certain things about the Bible, and as they went to college and as they discovered things, they were told basically certain ideas were demonic, and it, as they grew in their understanding of things and how it worked, they were told the Bible meant this or the Bible meant that. They started to have a conflict. And they were like, well, I guess I, because I, I have a conflict with the Bible here, I, I, I don't think I can follow Jesus or believe in him. But then they come to realize, no, 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 that was somebody's interpretation of what the Bible meant. And uh, can you all agree that over history, if you just read it, especially church Christian history, that we've gotten things wrong before? Is that, is that true? Okay. When I was a Christian, for example, when I became a Christian 24 years ago, I was going to a church. And there were a few churches, and we were told never to go to a psychologist because that psychobabble will mess you up. Has anybody ever heard this before? Some of you are counselors and therapists in the room. Um, but I can remember being told this at the church by pastors, and today it feels like um, we can't send people fast enough to um, therapists and Christian counselors or whatever. And it's just funny. It's like, did the church sort of repent, I guess, from like this idea? Everybody's asking about emotional health and mental health, and it's become very popular today all of a sudden. But when I got saved, it was like, don't go to those people. And we never defined who were good and who were bad and who were Christian and who were not. It was like anybody in that sphere, man, they they are doing the wrong thing. They're messing people up. And, and maybe some are, but some pastors have done that too. I don't want to do that to you. <laughs> but right? I mean, like people who have wrong thoughts have messed people up. That's, that's true. Sometimes I go to Home Depot and I feel like I'm getting the wrong information, you know? <laughs> and I feel like, buddy, I don't think you know. I, th I think you're saying what you think, but not what you know. <laughs> this is why when I ask a question to somebody, I say, and I'm asking for a material fact, like, hey, where is the dish or the platter or whatever? They say, I think it is. And the minute they say, I think, I stop them right there. You think or you know? 
I'm not trying to go on an expedition today. I'm looking to go to the place that the platter exists. So if you could please direct me factually to where it is so that I don't go somewhere I don't need to go, that would be excellent. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you say, I think you are already telling me you don't know. How many times we have done that? How many times we have done that? All right, well, the Bible is a miraculous document that gives us what we need. But here's what I want to tell you as I close. Number, number three is the Bible is our authority. God has all authority. The Bible is his word. Therefore, it carries God's authority in all of our lives. The Bible is the source for all matters of faith and practice. It is the foundation on which we stand, and it is the filter for what we see. And when it is that way, matters can be settled in your heart as you look out and you interpret the world. And you have to expect that you're going to have a clash with people that don't see through the same filter and don't stand on the same foundation. Friends, we just shouldn't be surprised. If you can remember back to when you weren't a Christian, you didn't first ask the question, what does the Bible say? You thought, what do I want to do? How do I feel about this? That's the question that most people are asking today. How do I feel? What do I think? Where do I want to go? What seems right in this situation? What makes me most likable to everyone that's involved? That's the question that most people are asking. But Christians can't ask those questions the same way. We have to ask, what does the Bible say? What is God's heart? How am I supposed to live? How do I posture myself? How am I called to pray? How do I navigate through this very difficult situation? How do I talk to somebody about this when they disagree, but they are going to disagree? We ask another other question because we stand on a different foundation and we see through a different lens. And what too many of us have done, and there's so many superficial Christians, and what makes us superficial is not just that someone's better than us, it's that we start to get flimsy with truth. You cannot do that. If you do that, what you will end up with is a version of Christianity that you and I have made up in our mind because we try to fashion God after ourselves. And there is coming a day where we are going to come into his presence and realize that we don't get to have a say. We get a choice. You don't get a say, you get a choice. And the choice is, who do I follow? Am I going to follow myself or am I going to follow God? Am I going to grapple with his words and seek to apply them and live by them and obey them? Or am I just going to sort of whimsically go back into what feels good to me and what makes me the most friends in the world? Friends, I want to tell you something. This book is for our best. This book is for our benefit. God's wisdom, he gave us this for a reason. I mean, I could, we could talk for days Perhaps we should. We, we could talk for days about how structures and systems are implicitly set up by the framework of Scripture. The problem is, is that we make a mess of it. We make a mess of it. But going back to God's Word is what we must do as Christians. And so whenever I come into a cultural issue and we look at sexuality or we look at gender or we look at relationships, or we look at anything, anytime we do that, whatever it might be, we don't need to get fired up. We need to get studied up. 
We don't need to get angry. We need to start asking for wisdom, but not, not to be scared of it. And this is how we reach people in the world. Friends, too many people have just, they just get so lax on what this is and what it's for or why we even have it. And so when people come to them, like I told you last week, we're in the world and not of it, but we have to be in the world tied to this book, understanding this book, living this book and offering the truth of this book because we are first recipients before we're teachers of this book. It's, it's not like we're trying to tell everybody else something because we're better. It's that we found something in here that is the truth and it's changed our lives. And now we want to help other people by it. And can I just tell you today that people need the word of God. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and it's a light unto my path. It shows me where I'm supposed to go. I don't just want it, I need it. And if it's true for you, it is true for everyone else. There's no separation of church and state, my friends. I mean, Jesus is going to come and people aren't going to dodge that. Did he get the memo? Jesus, did you get the memo? There's a separate, no, his kingdom come, his will be done. Our opinions just, poof. and the Bible says that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Every kingdom will be submitted to the feet of Jesus. Every single one makes all things new. We cannot be superficial in this culture. We need to know what we need to know and we can find it in God's word because it is our foundation. It's how we build our life. You say, Ben, I'm not a reader. It's time that you learn how to read. I don't know, get an audio version of it. Friends, come on, I'll be your sponsor, amen. <laughs> okay, whatever, I don't have enough money. We'll figure it out today, okay? I'm gonna call out a couple of you that will pay for the rest of you that don't have enough money, all right? Amen, Samuel's gonna buy somebody a Bible in here today. Am I a prophet or what? <laughs> Timon's going to do it. Jasper, they're going to buy somebody a Bible today. I'm, Bibles are going around today. I see. I feel it. I feel it. it, it it's amazing. It's the authority of God's, of God's word. Christians unashamedly approach issues by seeking out his truth. Humans are limited beings. Our minds are infected with sin. So even at our best, we only know in part. Our understanding is imperfect about everything. And the Bible is the standard by which our misunderstandings are corrected. And thanks be to God that he gave it to us. Thanks be to God. And the world, what the world needs is a people filled with his spirit and filled with his word. Because the world's broken. I was broken. You remember back to when you were really messed up? <laughs> I mean, I still need fixing, and Jesus is a good fixer, but I remember being messed up, and it, the worst thing in the world is to come to a Christian who has no answers. That's like going to a doctor, and your leg's broken, and your arm's broken, and you walk in, and you're hoping to get fixed because they're a medical doctor, and they know what to do, and they go, hey, well, nothing's really that wrong. Here's a painkiller, and we'll see you later, buddy, and you walk out, and you're like, okay, I still think something's wrong, though. You're still messed up. And that's what it's like coming to a Christian who's got no answers. And yet they've got a book right there. Spirit of God lives in them right here. And we don't invest anything into this. And so broken people are walking around looking for physicians, looking for doctors. Help me. Just like you've been helped. We've got nothing. Can't talk about the grace of God. Don't understand how to share the gospel. That has to change. Can I get an amen? That has to change. The world needs Christians that aren't just intellectual or knowledgeable or can defend the faith, but they can introduce the faith. They can explain the faith. 
You know how many people are looking for us just to explain it? They're not going to come in here and let me preach at them. They need somebody to talk to them about what the Bible teaches and what the gospel of salvation really is. They're not looking for somebody just to defend. They don't have the fix for their brokenness, and we know what it is. So I just don't waste a lot of time trying to defend anything. I've got everything to gain. More people need to be one. And I just thank God for his word. Now, as I close, I wanted to share this passage with you. Um, Psalm chapter 11, the writer, uh, I won't highlight this verse in your Bible, Ryan. Amen. (laughs) The writer is talking about how the ungodly are casting off restraint. It's kind of like the Psalms that complain, like gnash their teeth against a rock. And he's, (laughs) it's, it's some juicy stuff. Anyways, he The writer is talking about how the ungodly are living and they cast off restraint and there's a sickness upon the land and they want to rid the whole land of the godly people who believe God's word. They just want to get rid of all of them. And he's talking about how this is the reality of his generation. And he says this in verse three, if the foundations are destroyed, he's talking about Godly people believing God's word. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's, that's this sort of like depressing, hopeless confession. What can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed? And I, th- I think some Christians live in that statement. What can we do? The world's going to hell. It's all bad. Everything's going downhill. That's, some people live there, but they miss, again, they don't, read, they don't read enough of this to get to the other side of it. He actually gives an answer. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. He didn't leave it up to you. And aren't you thankful that God has a way? He's giving streams in the desert. He has a way in the wilderness. The power of the Holy Spirit is being poured out on this world today. And we have to have eyes to see it. And we have to be confident in God's Word. So we don't back down, we don't dilute, we don't compromise God's will or his word, but we trust him and we dig into his word to know what it says and to offer that to people because just as we needed it, so, do, so does everyone else. And it will solve the cultural issues that we have in simplicity. Would you stand to your feet as I read a passage over you as a benediction? And could we do this old school benediction? I want to read Psalm 1 1. Would you? Put out your hands before the Lord and and let's ask him for a hunger for his word. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in every season and its leaf does not wither in all that he does he or they prosper. Father, we pray today that we would not only love the Bible, but we would love the God of the Bible. We ask you, Lord, that you'd give us a hunger for your word. Lord, we confess that that has not always been where we are, that we don't always love your word. We don't always long for your word, like we're in a dry and a weary land. We, we don't always have an appetite and, a, and, and an insatiable hunger for your word. That's not always true of us, but God, we want that. We want that and we need that. Not just to have a devotional life, but Lord, to know you through your word. 
And I pray that our church would be marked by this. We would be marked by a hunger. We would be not, not just knowledgeable, but a hunger to know you through your word. God, give us that today. We ask you for that. And I pray over Northwest Church that we would always be a church of the spirit and the word. So God, fill us with that today. Your desire in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.